Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Ananias and Sapphira, right? So here was Satan's strategies. Satan in Acts 1-4, through as the church was developing, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. Satan's strategy was this. I'm going to try to destroy the church from out the outside. I'm going to send persecution. So you have Peter and John and all these people getting thrown into prison, right? Did that work? Did that shut them up? No. The church kept growing. So Satan's like, I can't destroy it from the outside, so I'm going to try to destroy the church from the inside. So he tried to bring in corruption, two people that were lying to God, lying to the Holy Spirit. Did that work? Well, the two people died, but the church continued on. So now Satan tries the, the most brilliant strategy in his deception tool bag, and it's division. If Satan can't stop the church from the outside through persecution, if he can't stop the church from the inside through corruption, he's going to try to use division. And that's what he was trying to do here. So one thing about the Lord, uh, Skip Isaac mentioned this, I think it's really insightful. He says, God is a master of mathematics. As a little review in Acts, as we studied for the past year, we see God adding to the church. In Acts 2.47, it says the Lord was adding daily to the church those being saved. So God adds to the church. And then we see in Acts chapter 5, God subtracts. He subtracted Ananias and Sapphira. And we see God multiplying. So God adds to the church. He multiplies and he subtracts. But one thing God will never do is divide. God is a master of math, but he never divides. That's Satan's job. So what Satan will do is he'll use people to divide the church. And this is kind of what was happening. Notice the complaint. There arose a complaint, verse 1, against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected. So here's the problem. There's a group in the church that's being overlooked or neglected. Now, I asked the first service, I said, do you think this was intentional? What do you guys think? No, it's not intentional. The church was running thousands. You have 3,000 get saved on the day of Pentecost, two more thousand added. When you add the women and children, the church at Jerusalem could be as big as 10,000 at this point. I mean, it's in the thousands. So as the church is growing rapidly, you find a group. It just so happens, uh, where's, where's Amy Perry at? They're in the women's ministry. Smile. And it just so happens they're in the senior adult department, and it just so happens they're in the widow department. So you have a group of ladies that aren't happy with the church because they're being overlooked. And with this, if the problem is not addressed, this is going to produce division in the church. So here's the thing. I want you to look at your listening. God, a divided church is a weak church. A weak church is a church that's office mission and is not making disciples. So here's the thing. The church is full of people that we all have different personalities we all have different backgrounds, different cultures. We're all from different parts of the world. We all have different skin colors, and that's the diversity. But what unifies us is not our preferences, but what unifies us is our call to follow Jesus and to make disciples. That's the Great Commission. That, that galvanizes the church. What happens is when you have groups of people that are being neglected or groups of people that feel like they're left out, Satan will use that as an opportunity to try to divide the church. 
So here's, here's a growth cycle I want you guys to write down. I believe this is in your listening guide. Anytime a church grows, growth leads to change. How many of you enjoy change? Raise your hand. I'm just curious. Anybody enjoy change? The ones that are raising your hands are either inventors or early adopters, okay? That's less than probably 20% of the world. The rest of the people struggle with change. There are later adopters and implementers later on. So anytime there's growth, there's always change. Growth means things are changing. I have five children, as you guys know, and as they begin to grow, they're like, man, my elbow is hurting. My, my knees are hurting. And I'm like, here, that's growing pains. You're, the reason why you're experiencing pain is because you're growing. And that's what happens in a church. As a church grows, it experiences growing pain. So whenever you have growth, then you have change. And whenever you have change because people don't like change, then you have conflict. How many of you, by a show of hands, have ever dealt with conflict in a church? Raise your hand. All right, everybody in here online, raise your hand in your living room. Yes. So here, here's, here's what we're going to learn from the scripture. You have growth, then you have change, then you have conflict, what we're going to see is the apostles present a solution. And whenever you present a solution to the conflict, then you have growth again. And the reason why you ever ask the question, why our church is not growing, why our church is struggling, let me tell you one of the reasons, there's many, but one of the reasons is whenever the, the conflict happens because of the change, people often revert back to the former way of being because there's less conflict. People don't want the the pain of conflict, so they go back, all right, we're backing up. We don't want the pain of conflict. But what happens is when you navigate through conflict, when you navigate through change and you you deal with the pain of growth, we're going to see in the text today that the church multiplies and it grows because they, they went through the pain. They went through the conflict. Now, when we see here, God was growing the church. And I can imagine a church of several thousand people had some struggles like, you know, I don't know everybody anymore. You know, you look around the 120. Do you ever think the 120 complain? Man, I miss it when it was like in the upper room. I miss the purple carpet, you know, in the upper room. I, I mean, this, this new carpet, ugh. I love it when Mary used to lead worship. Who is this young guy up here? You know, we're full of thousands. He's a Grecian Jew. Who is, you know, you can imagine some of the complaints going on. But the church persevered. You know, one of the things people tell me when they come sometimes is they say, Timothy, when they're visiting, I'm church shopping. I mean, don't raise your hand if you've ever said that. You've ever, anybody ever heard that I'm going church shopping? And what's interesting, I don't say this out loud, but inside I'm thinking shopping is Walmart, Target, Amazon. When you're going church shopping, what you're saying is I want to be fed, I want to be ministered to, but... How many people go to church saying, I'm coming to see how I can serve, how I can contribute? I had someone recently, I'm not going to mention his name, but he recently is going to be joining this church. And his response was, I'm looking at all the churches in the area to see how I can best serve, use my gifts. I want, I'm a steward of these gifts and I want to be, see how God can use me. And I like that better than the church shopping motif because, you know, we are not here to just sit and be fed. That's part of church, but we are here to use our gifts to glorify God. Amen. All right, I'm meddling now. Number two, church leaders seek solutions for presenting problems. So look back at verse two. You know, we, we talked about there's growth, change, conflict, but look at the solution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, whom we may appoint over this business. 
But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. So what's fascinating, the word serve and the word ministry in verse 4, it translates the Greek word whereby we get a word deacon, diakonos. And it's the idea, these were the forerunners to the deacon ministry. The deacon ministry was developed a little bit later, as we see in 1 Timothy. But these were the forerunners. So here was the problem. A group of people in the church are being neglected. And the apostles' problem was, listen, God has called us to preach the word and to do a prayer covering for the church. Now, here's what they weren't saying. They weren't saying they were above serving the widows. They weren't saying they were above you know, ministering to the financial needs or the physical needs of the church. But the, what they were saying is God's called us to this ministry. And if we work in this area, we're taken away and we're not doing what God's called us to do. So I'm surveying you guys a little bit. How many of you would love to be able to get on stage and deliver a message to the church? Raise your hand. Oh, there's a few. Deborah, this, yeah, Mike, few. Maybe ten people, okay? How many of you would be scared to death to do that? Raise your hand. Why is that? It's because God's gifted us differently. It's not that one gift is better than the other. It's just we're gifted differently. There are serving gifts and there are speaking gifts. Some of you that love talking and you guys know who you are and your spouse knows who you are. You know, some of you have the gift of teaching and communication. And those of us who don't have the gift, we're we're more practical. We, We love to meet specific needs. So that's what we see going on here in the church. Look on your listening guide. In the New Testament times, business was transacted over tables. So this is not just food. It can involve food, but it's also financial. This is like, this would be the equivalent of managing the church's finances, And the apostles were saying, listen, we can't get caught up into the finances and food department of the church. God's called us to preach the word and he's called us to pray. So the solution was to present a a need to the congregation. And they said, congregation, we want you to pick out seven men full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. And so what they were trying to do is the church was growing. The church is an organism. It's a growing, living organism. But how many of you know if there's not organization to the organism, it causes problems? Even in your own human body, what happens if you have a free radical cell in your body? What does that lead to? Cancer, right? Or other sicknesses. I've got a lot of nurses in the building, some doctors. So here's the idea. The church is a living body. And the body has to be organized to stay healthy. One of the biggest pushbacks in Asheville is, I'm not for organized religion. Anybody ever heard that? And it's like, what are you for, disorganized religion? I mean, like, everything's chaotic. And I think what they mean by that is I've seen corruption in churches. I've seen where the church, all they want is my money. That's what they're referring to. That has nothing to do with organization per se. But what we see is God is a God of order. Look on your listening guide at 1 Corinthians 14, 40. Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So if you say, I'm not for organized religion, well, that's not Christianity. Because God is a God of order. Amen. But at the same time, God doesn't want us to be so orderly where the Holy Spirit doesn't have room to move. Have you ever been in some churches where it's so structured and organized? It's like everything is mechanical. And then the flip side, you don't want to be like the church of Corinth where everything's just free flowing and craziness is happening. So it has to be a balance there. So it brings up the question. Timothy, you're talking about deacons. What are the qualifications for a deacon? Right. If you're looking for capable leaders, what are they? Well, flip in your listening out or your Bible to first Timothy three. These are the qualifications. It says, likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double tongue, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, 
holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let them also be first tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found faith, uh, blameless. Verse 11, it says, likewise, their wives. Now, I've got to pause there. In the original Greek, you'll notice some of those words are italics. Uh, this can also be translated the women. And many Bible scholars believe this was referring to women deaconess. And the reason why is overseers, which we're going to talk about next week, it doesn't give a long description about their wives, right? But the deacons, it does. And you're like, well, why would they give descriptions for the deacons' wives and not the overseers? And I think the reason why, Paul is talking about a class of deaconess, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Likewise, the women must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife ruling their children in their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Jesus Christ. So, initial question, how many of you want to know what type of people should lead the church, right? Um, I think we all should. And even though some of you may not aspire to be a deacon or deaconess, these character qualities should be true of every maturing Christian. So, I ask you as we read through these qualities, ask, is this true of me? Is this true of my Christian character? So here's some qualifications. Number one, you have to trust the deacon. When you don't have trust, it's hard to follow someone as a servant leader. Notice it says they have to have a good reputation from Acts 6.3. And then Paul says in Timothy, they are first tested and then found blameless. So here's the idea of a deacon, that it's someone that's been tried and true and tested. It's someone that's you know, been faithful through the years. And the challenge with our church is as you look around, 70% of you or so are brand new within the first few years. So you're like, how do we know if they're tried and true tested? Well, a lot of times you go back to the former church and some of you have been deacons many years and you have a good testimony in the community. And that would be one aspect of being tried and tested. All right. Quality number two, a deacon has godly character. Notice in Acts 6, 3, it says they're full of what? The Holy Spirit. Have you ever met a church leader, it could be a pastor or deacon, Sunday school teacher, whoever, that more times than not it seems like they were in the flesh? You ever met anybody that just seemed very carnal and, and you're just like, you just feel a disconnect? Well, God wants his leaders to be full of God's spirit. The next is reverent, not given to much wine. So the idea behind that is you're not going to find a deacon drunk at the bar. That's someone that, you know, they're not setting a good testimony. Um, and by the way, people that come to bars, we invite you to church. This is the place where you can experience life change. Amen. One of our sayings here is everyone's welcome. No one's perfect. Anything's possible. So everyone's welcome. But we're talking about deacons. They've got to have good character. All right. The husband of one wife. And some people say, well, can a deacon be divorced? And if you look in the Greek, literally, it means a one woman type of guy. In other words, they're faithful to their spouse. Some deacons past, present have basically, they've been faithful. Some have gone through divorce and God has restored them. And now they're faithful to their spouse over a long period of time. That's what that's talking about. It's not saying one strike and you're done. God is a God who restores and he gives second chances. And people can uh, restore and be redeemed. A good example of that wasn't a deacon, but he would, was an apostle is Peter. Peter did the unthinkable. He did what? He denied Jesus. Peter cursed and swore, I'm not, you know, and what did Jesus do? He didn't say, you're out of here. He said, I'm going to restore you. Go feed my sheep. So we, we believe in a ministry of restoration here. 
All right. For the women deacons, it says reverent and temperate. The idea is it's, it's a lady who has self-control. She's not going to be one type of person one week and the next week she's completely different. No, she has some stability. All right. Third quality is a deacon knows how to handle people and problems. Whenever you're a deacon, you are dealing with situations where there's problems, just like Acts 6. The problem was a group of the church was disgruntled because they felt they were being overlooked and neglected. And what we see here is these deacons are raised up to help solve the problem. But as you deal with the problem, you don't become part of the problem. You become part of the solution. So that's why it says full of wisdom. You need to know how to handle the situation. Not doubled tongue, not slanders. When it comes to double tongue, uh, Pastor Ed Young had a saying that stuck with me for 20 years. He said, in every church, there are lobby lizards. You know what a lizard is? It's got the double tongue. And he said, the lobby lizards hang out in lobbies and they talk about the latest gossip of the church. You ever ran across that? So Paul's saying, if you want to be a deacon, you can't be a lobby lizard. You can't be double tongue. You can't say one thing and then say something else. So I read a story about a deacon. He was supposedly sick with the flu. So he sent a message into the pastor. I'm so sorry. I won't be able to do my service this Sunday. I'm sick with the flu. And one of his church members said, no, that deacon is not sick. He's actually going to the ball game. It must have been the Braves game a few weeks ago. Just kidding. Uh, He's going to the ball game. And so the pastor you know, didn't mind the deacon missing, but he didn't want the deacon to lie. And so he, right after church, he made a beeline straight to the deacon's house. And he said, you know, deacon, I understand that you're supposedly sick, but one of the church members said that you went to a ball game. Is this true or not? And the deacon said, that is a lie if I've ever heard it. I was not at a ball game. I'll show you the fish to prove it. So, all right, how to get a light moment there. Cheesy preacher joke. All right. All right, number four, a deacon has good theology and stands true to the word of God. Notice it says holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Now, it brings up a question. I thought pastors and elders are the ones that are supposed to be good at teaching and theology. Well, deacons are too because here's the reason why. When you're dealing with problems, you're dealing with people, sometimes you have to correct theology that's off. And as a church, our only standard is the word of God, Right. It's not culture, it's not tradition, it's the word of God. So if something doesn't line up with scripture, deacons are the ones they've got to be able to hold the mystery of faith with the pure conscience, stand true to the word of God. And finally, a deacon has to have good leadership abilities. For the women deacons, it says faithful in all things. And the description goes on ruling their own houses and children well. So here's the idea. If you're a servant leader, you've got to be able to lead teams. You've got to be able to lead people. And Paul's saying, if you can't do so at home, if your home's a mess, what makes you think you can do it in the church? Now, he's not saying you won't have challenges at home. I can be the first to testify. You know, I've got a lot of kids and there's a lot of challenges. But the idea is you're doing your best to provide order out of chaos. And the same with church. You see situations, it means you make the situation better in everywhere you go. So it brings up the question that I mentioned at the beginning. Well, Why are so many churches not reaching their full redemptive potential? Why are so many churches struggling? 80, 90% of churches, it seems like they're they're, they're struggling um, and things are not looking like the way it should. 70% of people either have not returned to church or worshiping online and then 30% are back and it's like the church is kind of like, where do we go from here? It's been two years. And what I would encourage you is that we've got to find where God's called us to be. 
And we've got to work within a redemptive potential. For those listening online, we ask you to pray for us. And you're, you're, you're a vital part of this ministry. For those of you who are here, you know, we, we need us to discover, which by the way, we're having a spiritual gifts class today at 2, um, place ministry. So if you haven't signed up for that, there's still room. We've got to discover where we're gifted and serve. But the reason why many churches are, are stuck is the pastor is expected to do the role of the deacon and other ministries. And I mentioned on your listening guide three pitfalls of a pastor. One is keeping up and maintaining the church building. This church building, if you've ever been through it, it's huge. There's like three stories, multiple rooms. And I literally could spend all of my time trying to maintain the building. But then what would I do on Sundays? You know, I wouldn't be prepared. Another thing is consumed with budgets and bylaws. It's kind of like the... The deacons, um, what, what the apostle says, listen, we can't get into all this financial minutia of the church. We've got to focus on the word and prayer. And a lot of times churches expect the pastor to be the one that oversees all the financial departments. And we see in Acts 6, the apostle said, no, we can't do that. We're going to raise up people that are gifted and capable to do that. And so the list goes on that we've got to find out where we're gifted. And as a church, we've got to Take our place in the body of Christ. So if you're, if you're visiting here today, I just want to say this is a really good Sunday to come because this church is experiencing great growth. Uh, we just announced uh, about 30-some members that recently joined in the past year, and we've got another class and more people joining. We're, we're growing rapidly. So you guys are on the foundation of something special. Something's getting ready to happen here. COVID or not, I think this church is going to explode when we reach people. We're going to be able to make disciples. We're going to be able to love the people here. and We're going to love the people that are not here. And something I want to point out before I go to the next point is that the church leaders, it wasn't an either-or scenario. Do we meet the needs of the widows or do we do outreach? It was both. It was both. And a lot of times churches get in quibbles of, is it those who are here or is it just the gospel and reaching? It's both because the apostles met the need of the widows, but they also continue to reach the law. So it's both. All right, point number three, church leaders call people back to the mission of the church. If you look at the apostles' reaction in verses two through four, they said it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and wait on tables. In other words, we've got to stay on mission. And what happens in church is something called mission drift. Anybody ever heard that expression, mission drift? Like you know what your mission is, but somehow you drift. Somehow you realize our mission is to make disciples, right? Jesus told us his last command is our first priority, make disciples. But what happens? Well, there's complaints and there's criticism. So we don't want anyone complaining. So what do we do? We try to make the people happy. So instead of the church being a battleship, like charging the gates of hell, reaching people along the way, we become a luxury liner. We become a cruise ship. How many of you have been on a cruise ship before? They're fun. They're great, but the church is not a cruise ship. The goal of the church is not to keep everyone happy. The goal of the church is to make disciples, to love those who are there, but also to reach those who are not there. Amen? Ouch and amen. All right, number four. Church leaders provide solutions that unify the church. Notice verse five, it says, the, the saying pleased the whole multitude. So here's the idea behind that is the leaders took action. They said, you know, church members, you know the best people that can serve you. You identify the people, and they recommended the people to the apostles, and the apostles had the final authority to, they laid hands on them, the scripture says. And that's why when we presented the deacon ministry to you guys, we said, you guys recommend people, and then the leadership council, we're going to vet the people to make sure they meet the qualifications and the character. 
And then as that happens, the people are excited because they had the opportunity to present people that could represent them and serve them. And the apostles in this text had the opportunity to say, yes, these are qualified people that meet the description. Hebrews thirteen seventeen, the author says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So if you go back to the Old Testament, Moses was leading probably more than three million people through the wilderness. And do you guys remember the number one thing that he dealt with as a leader? Does anybody know? Grumbling and complaining. You fast forward to New Testament times, Acts 6, what are the apostles dealing with? The same thing, right? So what's funny is people, you know, this is the idea, all church members expect a utopian world that when I go to this church, there's going to be no more problems, no more issues, no more complaining. And then you go there and you find it there too. So I just want to declare to you, every church you go to, this side of eternity, there's going to be grumbling and complaining. It shouldn't surprise you. You know, think about it. these are the apostles that have been with Jesus. They're leading this church and there's grumbling and complaining. I, I'm definitely not as effective and gifted as they are. So why would I expect to be any, any different? So I want to encourage you when you experience that, think about a solution. Notice what the seven did. They, they, the solution is to bring servant leaders, which is point five. What was the solution? Servant leaders. Notice the word disciple is used. This is the first time the word disciple is used in the book of Acts. So in the early church, basically, they had two groups of people. They had apostles and disciples. And as the church began to grow in the thousands, they said, listen, we've got to add another group. And this was the forerunner to the deacon ministry. So notice the names mentioned here in verses 5 and 6. Are these Greek or Hebrew names? Greek names. So going back to the complaint, we didn't really address that. The complaint was this. The Hebrew Jews, the complaint by the Grecian Jews were like, we're being overlooked. And in this culture, the Jews were split down the middle. There were the Hebrew Jews. Those would be the traditionalists that grew up around Jerusalem. They still spoke the Hebrew language, still experienced the Jewish customs. The Greek, Grecian Jews or the Greek Jews, they came from outside of Jerusalem typically. They spoke Greek. They read the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so there was vast cultural differences. So... In, in, our, in our culture, it would be like you had the traditionalists and the modernists. The Greeks were like the modern, let's get with the culture, and the, the Hebrews were the traditionalists. And the church had to realize we can't split down the lines of culture or preference. We've got to bring these two cultures together. And the solution was let's present these people. So notice it was Greek names. So that brings up a leadership principle. Use the very same people who are part of the problem to become part of the solution. They could have selected Hebrew people, but they selected Greek. Why did they select Greek people? That was where the problem lied, in the Greek-speaking Jews. So they selected people who were in, involved intimately to become part of that solution. For those of you who have been here any period of time, you've heard me say this many times, don't present a problem without presenting a solution. So we, we get that from this text. So the idea is that you may not know the solution, but you're at least working towards one. So if I only present problems, but I'm never part of the solution, then I'm a church critic. I'm only pointing out problems, but there's no solution. If I identify problems, but I'm working towards a solution, and then that, that's what makes me a leader, because I'm working. So all of you are leaders. All of you present solutions to problems, and that's how we grow. All right? So here's the, here's the idea behind it is 
The congregation submitted seven people and the apostles basically gave their consent and laid hands on them and they prayed. All right, final point is the impact of balanced leadership in the church. So what happens when a church develops leadership? What happens when godly leaders, men and women, take their place? You have rapid growth and kingdom impact. Look at the next verse. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So here's the idea. I go back to the original question I've asked twice. Why are churches not growing? Why are churches struggling? A lot of it has to do with godly leadership. John Maxwell once said, everything rises and falls on what? On leadership. I would add godly leadership to that. So in a church, it's no different. We cannot grow beyond the capacity of our most godly leaders. So if we want our church to have a greater redemptive impact, if we want to reach more people with the gospel, guess what? We have to raise up more leaders. So if you're visiting today, there's a place for you at the table. We want to encourage you to come, get involved, because God is getting ready to do amazing things, I believe, that are going to just shock us in the most amazing ways. There may be a pandemic, but the gospel is still getting out. There may be fear in all the world, but the glory of God is going to prevail. There may be people with questions, but guess what? We have the answer in God's word. There may be problems going on in society, but guess what? You guys are the salt and light. Amen. So let your glow show. Get the word out. Be encouraged today. So I want to read you a story. Uh, I was not aware of this story. It comes from the third century. So you have to do a little digging in history. But in the third century A.D., this is in the 200s, a great number of Christians were martyred. And there were emperors of Rome that rose up that did not care about Christianity. In fact, they wanted to extinguish Christianity. One of those was an emperor by the name of Valerian. Emperor Valerian issued a decree And the decree was the following, all bishops, priests, and deacons must be rounded up and killed. All bishops, deacons, and priests. So they began to round these these people up. And one of the, the guys that was summoned, his name was Deacon Lawrence. He was one of seven deacons in Rome. And Deacon Lawrence basically said, you know, they asked him, they brought him before, they said, we want you to bring all the treasures of the church. We want you to bring them all and we'll let you go free. So he was a very smart deacon. And he said, I'll bring you all the treasures, but I need three days. So in three days, he took all the church's money and he gave it to proper hands to care for the poor. And then in three days, he got all the widows, all the orphans, everyone that he could find that was poor, afflicted, disabled. And he brought them before the council in Rome. And the, the, the magistrate looked at this group of people, many of them you know, disabled and poor. And from his perspective, you know, what are they doing in the court? He said, what are you doing with all these people? And Lawrence, one of the seven deacons, said, these are the treasures of the church. These are the treasure of the poor, the widows, the orphan. And that did not go so well with the court in Rome that day. And they issued Lawrence to be martyred. One of the deacons, he was martyred. This was the year... 258 A.D. 258. So they martyred him. And according to the story, this is kind of shocks me. But the historian said that they martyred him by burning him. And as they were burning him, the flame started to scorch his body. And he said, you may turn me over. I'm done on this side. And people were just shocked. He said, turn me over. You can roast the other side. And that testimony of faith from one of these deacons 
inspired so many people in Rome that according to the historians, many people came to faith that day. Amen. So you're like, wow, I hope that's not my case as a deacon. But listen, we need men and women with backbones. We need men and women that are going to stand true to the word. Amen. All right, look at your listening guide just as a conclusion. If you'll notice that big triangle, let's put it on the screen here. This is what we've called the servant leadership model. A lot of times in church, if you're just coming in, you're like, how does churches operate? You know, how do they function? What what happens? And what what, what happens in society, it's usually a pyramid. You have... You know, the CEO at the top and everyone at the bottom. What the servant leadership model does is it flips it. Jesus said, the greatest leader among you shall be the greatest what? The greatest servant. So we've put all the servants at the bottom, myself and the elders. And if you're wondering if I have accountability at the church, the answer is yes. We have a leadership council. These are elite team of elders that hold me accountable. We meet on a regular basis. They have permission to call me out on anything. They have permission to call my wife. So there's accountability. So they hold me accountable. I hold the pastors and staff accountable and encourage them, equip them, empower them. And what we're introducing to you guys today, we're having a business meeting following this meeting, give more details, but we're going to introduce the deacon ministry. And the deacon ministry is different from elders, as you can see. These are team leaders. So at Arden, we have ministry teams, and these deacons are going to be either a team leader or part of a ministry team. And they're going to serve in different capacities. We have hospitality. We have first impressions. We have technology. I gave an example in the first service. Lucia, she's been here for several decades at the church. And her ministry is hospitality. So she's been nominated as a deaconess. And uh, we're going to um, encourage her and equip her. And she's going to lead a team of volunteers. So here's a side note. You know, a lot of times women want to be empowered in our culture. And Arden, while we are biblically conservative and we stand true with the word, the Bible mentions the role of women in ministry. And if you don't believe me, Romans 16.1 mentions Phoebe. And does anybody know what Phoebe was? A deaconess. Uh, Romans 16, if you read the long list of names that Paul talks about ministry associates, one third of those are women. So we believe in you women. All the ladies said, Amen. So as the deacons lead their ministry teams, they're leading the volunteers and serving them. And as together, as a pastors and staff and elders and deacons and volunteers, guess what? We serve you guys, the, the members and the guests. And as we, we serve each other and hold each other accountable, then we begin to serve our community. And as we begin to reach our community, our ultimate goal is to make what? Disciples. That's our mission field. So when you want to know what our focus is, it's not on making everyone happy or keeping you guys comfortable. It's actually the opposite. We're going to meet your needs. We're going to shepherd you and encourage you, but we're going to challenge you. This is not a luxury liner. We're a battleship. And we are going into the community. We are sharing the gospel without apology. Amen? So that's kind of the leadership model. So today's big takeaway, to summarize this in a sentence, growing pains. When you talk about growing pains, they're actually an opportunity in disguise For what? To further the mission of the church. And I'll give you this closing analogy before we go to action steps. How many of you guys have ever flown on a plane before, right? You're like everybody. Most, most, most in here have, few haven't. Whenever you're on an airplane, there's something that keeps you grounded, and that's called what? Gravity. And in the church, gravity is kind of like the things that keep you from flying. These are sometimes misunderstandings, sometimes preferences, styles. Uh, criticisms, complaints, they keep you grounded. But whenever you have godly leaders that get before God and pray, 
Whenever you have a church that's rallied around a mission, guess what happens? Thrust. All of a sudden, this plane that was meant to fly is no longer grounded, but thrust helps it overcome and beat the laws of gravity. Amen? All right, let's look at the action steps. Timothy, what if I'm not a deacon? Well, these are all going to apply to you. Number one, got a problem, seek to present a what? So this, this will make your, your job, for those of you who have jobs, this will make your employer or if you're an owner. Imagine if all your employees, when they presented a problem, they also had a solution. Wouldn't that change the, the dynamic of any situation? All right, number two, are you serving? Part of the culture we have here is we're trying to change the 2080 formula. We talked about last week, 20% do what? 80% of everything. What if we change that to 80% of people we're serving? The other 20% were just guests and visitors. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be, make a difference? So we encourage you to sign up to serve. We have two spiritual gifts class this week and next week from 2 to 5. And if you don't know what your gift is, this will help you identify that. And finally, pray for us and support our deacon ministry. We're going to uh, talk about this later uh, at a business meeting, but we've got 11 candidates that have been nominated by the membership as deacons. And you know what? I think as these deacons come in place... Look what happened in Acts. As, as the church got healthy and organized, what happened? The ministry grew. And I believe that God is calling us to make a difference in this world, to go out into the highways and hedges and make disciples and to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the community. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how powerful it is. We ask and pray, Lord, that you would just use us, Lord. And Father, as, a, as we as believers pray, no one looking around, you may be like, Timothy, I really, when we talk about deacons and serving, I was convicted about the character. There's some things in my life that, you know, maybe I'm not serving as I should. Or maybe I present problems without solutions. And today, God's pricked my heart. So that, that's where you're at. If there's any sin, just confess that to God. Say, God, I'm sorry. Help me to be more involved and active in a healthy, vibrant community. You may be here today as a guest and you're encouraged that this church values godly leadership. And maybe you'll just pray for us that we will raise up and equip men and women who are going to make an impact. And maybe this would be the church that you would want to join, a church that really values integrity, that really values character. And finally, as believers pray, there may be one here today, one that's listening online. And and maybe God spoke into your heart that you're, you're not part of the body of Christ. You've never received Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus, he died on the cross for you. He loved you that much. He shed his blood for you. But he didn't stay dead. He rose, he rose again the third day because he wants to give you new life. He wants to give you a new opportunity to, to really live, not just live, but be alive. So friend, if you've never asked Jesus to save you, if you've never asked him to forgive you, we call that being born again. You can call upon him right now whether you're here or listening online, Scripture says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you've never called upon Him right where you're at, whether you're here in the sanctuary, your living room, in your car, as you're driving down the road, say, Jesus, I believe the gospel that you did die and you rose again. And I confess you as Lord. I confess you as Savior. I pray that you would forgive me of all my sins. And I want to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's children said, Amen.